there's a sense in which uh, the book of Ephesians is all about surrender. When we look at the book of Ephesians, we learn about walking in the Spirit. We learn about what it means to give up all that we have for Christ. There's a very real sense in which the book of Ephesians is all about surrender. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that your word gives us guidance, gives us ways to walk, gives us confidence in who you are. And as we open your word, I pray that you would open us up to what you have for us, the message that you have, that we would apply it to our lives, and that we would leave as changed individuals as the word of God works in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been in a presentation or maybe a class, maybe a meeting at work, where the individual says, finally, or my last point, and you think, ah, and they go on and speak for another half hour. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and that's where we're going to be is in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul begins with this statement, finally, but don't check out. Because the Apostle Paul is not done teaching. No, the Apostle Paul is going to wrap everything up in a neat package that we can have in order to learn how to walk. How to walk. You see, in the book of Ephesians, we have a powerful piece of theology. A piece of theology that presents the Christian walk. Ephesians 2 talks about bringing people together in this new thing called the church. In Ephesians 4, we learn to walk worthily. Walk worthily. In Ephesians 5, we learn what it means to walk in a spirit-filled life. Ephesians 6 begins with some of the key aspects or key characteristics of the walk. We learn about children obeying their parents. We learn about parents raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What we're learning about is obedience there. But what is it? It's ultimately obedience to God. You see, God is working to consummate all things in Christ. He's working to complete his perfect plan. And part of that perfect plan is using us as we walk with God. But, Paul starts off Ephesians 6 with the transition, finally. And he's going to talk not about walking now, but about standing. So let's read Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. And if you're able to stand in honor of reading God's word, please stand with me as we read Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth 
buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Thank you. You may be seated. Most likely, the Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians from prison, probably from a Roman prison. He probably, as he's writing the book of Ephesians, actually had a Roman soldier standing in front of him who was his guard, who was responsible for him. So I want you, as we look at this text, to picture a strong, stoic Roman soldier. That's the image that the Apostle Paul is going to bring out as he says, stand firm. Stand firm. Because God's model of the spirit-filled living involves individuals, fallen humans, boldly standing for Christ, empowered by God himself through prayer. Christians need to pray. We're going to see that. We need to pray for others, and we need to pray boldly. So let's look at the first thing that the Apostle Paul says in verses 10 through 12. He says that Christians must be divinely empowered. What's the first command? Finally, okay, I'm not, I'm not done. So we don't have 30 minutes, but I'm not done also. Finally, be strong. Be strong. Simple, right? Have you ever gone to the gym and lifted weights to be strong? It's actually a slightly different meaning of the word strong here. Remember the Stoic soldier. The word that we're translating as strong is actually an inner strength to you. It's a passive inner strength. Have you all ever been around a soldier or been at a military parade? There is something about a soldier who has gone through basic training. They may not have the biggest muscles, but when they stand there, you can see the strength of an individual who has been through basic training. There's an inner strength there. They have overcome something. And that's the word that the Apostle Paul is using. Be strong in the Lord. Exude an inner strength. In verse 11, he says, put on. Put on the full armor of God. There's actually a play on words going on in the Greek here. So we have lots of plays on words to help us remember things, right? Uh, In grad school, the phrase that I always used was, we're going to fake it till we make it. Okay? Or, uh, see you later, alligator. Good night, sleep tight. They're all things that sort of have a play on words that rhyme together. In the Greek, there's a play on words here. The word be strong sounds just like the word for put on. So the Apostle Paul, there's a slight difference. The Apostle Paul is saying, Be strong. How? By putting on 
the full armor of God. And what is this armor? We, we translate this as the armor of God. You might actually translate it as God's armor. This is the very top-of-the-line stuff. This is not, you know, second-hand stuff you go buy at the military surplus store. This is God's armor. Actually, the book of Isaiah is filled with language about the Messiah's armor, and there's great parallels in this passage. We'll talk about some of them. I think this is mess- messianic armor. This is the very stuff that Jesus Christ uses to stand strong. That's what God's telling us to put on. In verse 12, we see a command to know our enemy. If you were an Air Force fighter pilot, you would have to go out to the gun range, and every once in a while, you're going to have to qualify on a rifle. It's every six months. It's not every week, not every day, not even every month that you have to go out and qualify. Why? Because you're not going to be shooting a gun very often as an Air Force fighter pilot. If you are a military sniper, guess where you are every day? You're out on the gun range. Why? Because you're going to be firing a gun all the time. You have to practice for what you're going to be doing. And here in verse 13, or sorry, in verse 12, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We have to know what we're going to be up against. The word struggle is actually an Olympic term. It means to wrestle. We're engaged in close quarters combat. We're not doing ranged attacks. We're not subject to these ranged... No, it's a struggle. It's right here, right now. This is something I have to deal with. And what is it that we have to deal with? A struggle, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We have a very real struggle As Christians, we must recognize that the only solution we have, the only thing we have, is God. As Christians, we have to recognize that it's God who empowers us to stand firm. So what is it it that God uses to empower us? Well, that comes in verses 13 through 17. In verses 13 through 17, we see that it is through the armor of God. Verse 13 starts again with, therefore, put on the full armor of God. It's a different word for put on there. It's a military word that means to take up arms, to prepare for battle. So now we are actually preparing. Put on the full armor of God. And then the verse ends, in verse 13 it ends with, and after you have done everything to stand, and I was trying to think through, what does this mean? After I've done everything to stand? The idea here is once you are put the armor on, you are fully prepared for combat. This is what you need to do. You have to put the armor on, then you will be ready for this combat, this close quarters wrestling. So I want to actually look at some of this armor. We're going to go a little bit fast here because I don't want to spend too much time on the armor itself. This is something that probably many of you are familiar with from things like Awana, where you go through all the details of the armor. But let's look just briefly at this armor. In verse 14, we get the fourth command to stand firm. This has happened four times already in this passage. If you say it once, you should pay attention. If you say it twice, it must be important. If you say it three times, you've got to really pay attention. We're at four times here that he said stand firm. 
says, stand firm one more time. And then he says what? The belt of truth. So I was thinking last night, when I was in high school, the thing that the cool kids did was they wore their pants down like at their mid-thigh. That's what people did, okay? They thought it was cool to have their pants down at their mid-thigh. And, you know, it was real cool until we were playing football. And you'd see, you know, uh, Frederick going out for a pass, and he gets like 10 steps in, and his pants fall to his ankles, and he's on the ground, and you think, why? (sighs) He needed a belt. The belt brings it all together, right? It allows you to function. The belt is central if you're going to make it. You can't can't operate without the belt. What is this belt made of? Truth. Truth. Integrity. Our lives as Christians should be marked by integrity. If we don't have integrity, if we don't operate with integrity, we're going to be going out for the past and our pants are going to fall down. Metaphorically. Okay? Integrity has to be central to the Christian. We have to put on integrity. In verse 14, we also see the breastplate of righteousness. What's the breastplate do? Protects your chest, right? That's a pretty important part of your body. Okay? I told you that this was God's armor in Isaiah 59. So in Isaiah 59, verse 17, when talking about Christ, it says... He put on righteousness as his breastplate. Well, that's a pretty strong statement, pretty similar statement there. It goes on. I'm going to give you a prelude or a, a little bit of a heads up as to what comes. Isaiah 59:17 says, He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. I think there's some connection that the Apostle Paul is trying to make. The righteousness that we put on is not our own righteousness. It's not things that we're doing that are good, our good works. We're putting on the righteousness of Christ. He put on the breastplate of righteousness. We are putting on his righteousness. We're protecting ourselves with his righteousness, not our own. Verse 15 says to equip, and I like the way it's worded in uh, the King James, the shoes of the gospel of peace. The peace? I thought we were talking about armor and combat equipment here. What does peace have anything to do with this? Well, again, we could look at Isaiah 52. 52 verse 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Again, peace is another aspect of Christ. Uh, Ephesians 2 says he is our peace. It's all about peace. Ephesians, you could look at Ephesians 2.11 and, and forward to 22. It talks about Christ bringing peace. Peace horizontally with other people and peace vertically with God. Christ is our peace. We equip the shoes of the gospel of peace. The shield of faith. The shield of faith. The Roman shield was a lot more like a door than a little round shield. It was like a door that you could get behind and duck as arrows came in. You could cover your entire body with this shield to protect yourself from the arrows. And in fact, in verse 16, it says, take up the shield of faith, 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I told you we were going to move through these passages a little fast. The helmet of salvation is mentioned next. What is the helmet protecting? Your head. What does your head serve to protect? Your brain, your mind. That's pretty important. Maybe the most important part. And what is it that we're protecting the most important part with? Salvation. That is central to all of this. And then we finally get an offensive weapon. Everything we've talked about has been defensive. We have the sword of the Spirit, and the Scripture actually tells us, we don't even have to think about what the metaphor is here. The Scripture is explicit, the Word of God. So that's the armor. As Christians, we have to put on this armor. We're told to stand firm. How are we going to do this? By equipping ourselves with the armor of God. It is God who empowers us to stand firm by putting on his armor, So the question to ask yourself is, are you wearing this armor? Or are there pieces that you need to put on? Maybe you need to live a life of integrity and put on the belt of truth. Maybe you need to put on Christ's righteousness rather than trying to live righteously yourself. Or maybe you need to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace where you are going out and sharing this message. Maybe it is the very helmet of salvation. You need to take that step to make Jesus Christ your personal Savior. Or maybe you need to take up the sword of the Spirit by studying the Word of God more so that you're prepared for battle. I think all of us can grow in that area. But there is another piece of the armor that we haven't gotten to. The radio. Okay. They didn't have radios in Roman times. The Apostle Paul did not have a Roman soldier that had nice radio equipment. But I am convinced that if the Roman soldiers had radios, that Paul would have said, and finally, don't forget the radio. Why? Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray. This is in, remember, the same place as the armor of God. I think this is a critical component to putting on the armor of God, is that we are in prayer, that we are dedicating ourselves to prayer. I want you to notice some of the aspects of this prayer. Okay, first of all, it is in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He is the one that makes murmurings too deep for us to understand. He is the one that intercedes on our behalf. When we pray, the Holy Spirit works on our behalf before the Father. We are to pray in the Spirit. When are we to pray? On all occasions. That is, we are to have an attitude of prayer. Prayer should be so central that when things are happening, life is happening, We are constantly going to God in prayer. That prayer is our default mode of operation, not something that is secondary when I have time or before I eat a meal. No, prayer should be our default mode of operation. What else does it say? It says with every request, with all kinds of prayers. It's to be all the time. In the uh, ESV, It says, with all perseverance. 
with all perseverance. The idea there is that it's a relentless pursuit. We don't pray once and say, did my job, I prayed, moving on. No, we relentlessly pursue prayer. Put on a life of prayer. It says for all the saints. Did you catch that? All the saints. That means that as a church, as a corporate body, we are to be praying for one another. It means we have to know what's going on in each other's lives, but it also means that we are known as people who pray for each other. Uh, One commentator, Clinton Arnold, states, the vision of prayer that Paul projects in this passage goes far beyond a tendency for Christians to limit most of their praying to prayers for people in crisis. There is much intercessory prayer that needs to take place for all the saints before the crisis hit. I thought that was really interesting. A life of prayer means that we are praying before crisis because we're praying for each other. Look at verse 19. In verse 19, we are told to pray for our spiritual leaders. Look at that. Paul says, pray also for me. Most of us, we tend to think of our pastors as spiritual giants, people that you have to apologize for when you maybe let a a foul word slip or something like that, right? But our pastors need prayer. They are our spiritual leaders, but they are also people who need our prayer. People will often ask their pastors for things, ask them to pray for them, but we should be praying for our pastors. We should be praying for our deacons. We should be praying for our spiritual leaders. The Apostle Paul asked for prayer for himself, We should be praying for our leaders. Verse 20 sort of brings this all together. That we need to pray that the gospel will be boldly preached. Paul says, For which I am an ambassador in chains, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Remember, where is Paul when he writes this? In jail. Why? Because he is about to go stand before Caesar on trial. And what is Paul's concern? Will I present the gospel appropriately, even if my life is at stake? Will I be bold? Pray that I will be bold. As Christians, we need to pray that our spiritual leaders will be bold. As Christians, we must not forget the radio. So let's apply this to our lives. We need to put on the armor. We need to ask ourselves, what armor are you wearing? What do I need to put on? Where is my life missing a component of the armor? Or where is my armor weak because I haven't really put it on right? What do I need to do in my life to better equip myself to stand firm? But the second application I want to draw out, and this is very much related, is we need to commit to prayer. So October was Pastor Appreciation Month, and now it's November 1st. I want to put a challenge out. Will you join me? I need to pray more. Will you join me in committing to praying for our church more in the month of November? And let me be just a little bit more specific. Maybe you are praying for 10 minutes a day. Maybe you're praying for 15, some number. Okay, you know. You don't need to share. You know how much you're praying. Will you commit for the month of November to adding five minutes to whatever that number is? Will you join me in that commitment? 
Every day, I'm going to pray for our church, for our leaders, for our pastor, for an additional five minutes beyond what I was doing in October. Can you make that commitment? I'm going to make that commitment to you. I hope that you will make that commitment. Let's pray together for our church. I want you to imagine a soldier. He knows that his forces are superior, but he's behind enemy lines, and he needs to hold his ground. For how long? Until he pulls up the radio and calls in the rain. We need to pull up the radio. We need to call in the support. Because it's there. It's accessible to us. Let's commit to calling in the support. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have provided the armor of God to us. That we can depend on your armor for our support. That we can depend on your armor to help us to stand firm. And as we consider what your word has for us, as we consider our personal needs to equip the armor of God, I pray that we would take it seriously, that we would search our hearts and identify areas where we are weak, identify areas where we need to commit in a stronger way to you. I pray that in the month of November that we would be a praying congregation, that lifts up our leaders, that lifts up our church, and seeks for you to empower our church, to be a bold proclamation of the gospel. Help us to maintain those commitments to you, to be able to pray and to make prayer a central aspect of our ministry and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.